Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. The purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of racing. This is episode 26, titled Motorcycle Racer Chris Bays and New Racing Fan G4. In this episode, I chat with Moto America Twins Cup Motorcycle Racer Chris Bays and listener John Gardner, also known as G4, who won the Moto America Weekend Pass that Chris and I made available via the recent giveaway. As of this recording, John had not yet used the ticket, but was going to see the races in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania the following weekend. Since John had never seen any form of racing before, he had a lot of questions to ask about motorcycle racing, and this get-together was the perfect opportunity for Chris and I to answer them. Chris as the Motor America racer, and me as the Motor America fan. John did see the championship of Pittsburgh and got to meet Chris in person. John had a great time at the races and sent me lots of photos and video while he was there. Without a doubt, we now have a new motorcycle racing fan in our midst which is a big win for Chris and I and anyone else who wants to see the sport of motorcycle racing continue to grow. This episode was recorded on Monday, August 19th, 2019, and is being published on Wednesday, September 18th, 2019. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place. Because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle Podcast. You may have noticed that it's been a couple of weeks since I released the last episode. This is the first of four backlog episodes that I'm finally getting around to releasing. Things have been a little hectic lately between travel and having the opportunity to interview lots of people, sometimes more than one in the same week. On the plus side, Gene and I did manage to get away to Connecticut for a weekend of motorcycling, August 24th and 25th, which was a lot of fun. And two weekends ago, we were in southern New Jersey at the New Jersey Motorsports Park for the ninth round of the Moto America Racing Series. This coming weekend, I'll be at Barber Motorsports Park in Birmingham, Alabama for the final round of the Moto America Championship. So there's lots and lots of racing-themed stuff happening with the podcast these days. Just so you know, I'm not planning to turn this podcast into a motorcycle racing-focused podcast, but I am a racing enthusiast and a huge fan of Moto America, so I've really enjoyed covering this aspect of motorcycling. But let me know how you like this kind of content. One of the reasons I decided to cover different aspects of racing is, to me, motorcycle racing is basically the pinnacle of the sport. It's where you see the highest performing machines and riders, and eventually a lot of the technology that is developed for the track trickles down into the everyday street bikes that you and I ride, whether it's ABS, traction control, or on more sophisticated sport bikes, features like anti-wheelie control and the like. And of course, a lot of riding technique has been developed over the years on the track and can be applied in some form or another to what we do on the street. In keeping with tonight's theme and before we get into tonight's interview, I wanted to talk a little bit about the two-seater experience that Gene and I had at the Moto America race in New Jersey. I've already talked about it a little bit on Throttled, um, and there's actually there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to check that out. I, I may kind of repeat a lot of what I said there, but you know, if you want to check it out and definitely you know, I encourage everyone to listen to Throttle also. It's a great, great show, and I really enjoyed doing that with, uh, with Kevin McKinney and with Larry, Larry Lanes. So um, 
let me first mention what it is. So the two-seater experience um, is something that they've been doing for a couple of years. I'm not exactly sure how long, um, but it's basically an opportunity to ride on the bike. On, sorry, ride on the back of a Moto America Superbike. Um, the, the pilot, the rider of the motorcycle is Chris Ulrich, who um, is a f- former motorcycle racer. He raced some years ago. Uh, he currently runs a motorcycle team, Team Hammer, um, and he's connected with um, M4 Exhaust and Dunlop and Suzuki. And he's got, uh, I believe it's three, it could be more, but I, b- I believe it's three racers riding in uh, the Super America Championship this year. So two in Super Sport and one Jake Lewis who is riding in S- Moto America Superbike. So, um, yeah, so it's really, really cool. So um, Gene and I had actually signed up for this last year, but unfortunately we got rained out. And just because of the nature of it, right, and so, you know, you have non-racers on the back of a racing motorcycle, I, I guess they consider it's a little too risky to, to do the the two, you know, the two, the two seat experience if it's raining or the conditions are not optimal. So Gene and I didn't get to do it, but fortunately, you know, they were willing to work with us and they gave us rain checks. And so we were willing, we were able to work it out to do it this year. Um, so it, it was, it was just a blast. Um, like I said, I talked about this on throttled. Um, I've also, if you check out my Facebook page or my Instagram account, you'll see that I posted a little clip. It actually was really cool because kind of part of the package, every person who goes for the ride, the motorcycle is set up with three GoPro cameras, and so a couple of days after you complete the ride, they send you the GoPro footage, um, two that are facing back, one on the left, one on the right side of the motorcycle, one facing forward, so you can see the dashboard and you can see the speedometer. Um, so they send you those videos so you can check them out, and we, we got them yesterday, so Gene and I were all excited to check them out. So late last night, we were looking at the videos and stuff, and so I pulled a little bit of a clip, and I, I put it up on my social media so you can check it out there. Um, it. It, it does cost some money to do, and it's kind of interesting because you know when I signed up for it last year, um, you know, so it was it was five hundred dollars per person, which kind of seems like a lot of money, but yeah, you know, I was like, you know what, this is like a unique opportunity to have a really cool experience. You know, I'd already back then been thinking about you know maybe doing track days one of these days and wanting to try riding a motorcycle on the track, and I was like. I don't know what better way than to ride on the back of a superbike with an experienced motorcycle racer, you know, and, and a guy who runs a race team and he's very, very heavily involved in Moto America. And, and actually, interestingly enough, too, Chris Ulrich and his dad, John, uh, run Road Racing World magazine, which, you know, now, it, well, actually, there's a print magazine. And now, of course, it's digital as well. So I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes. So you can check that out. But um, what, what I didn't realize when I signed up and, and I found out later was that the $500 per person that you pay is actually a donation to, and I don't know the exact name of the fund, but basically it's a safety fence program that's been set up. So the funds that are collected through the two-seater experience are used to install safety air fence at different motorcycle racetracks across the country. And I don't know the exact figures, but they've installed like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of safety fence at different facilities. So it, it just was a really cool thing. It's like, okay, so we can help support that effort to make racetracks safer, you know, for track day riders and for motorcycle racers, you know, and I love motorcycle racing. I love to watch it. It is obviously, it can be a dangerous sport, but, you know, whatever can be done to make it safer for the racers, you know, I'm, I'm all in for that. So anyway, so it's, it's a good cause. And then you just have this amazing, amazing experience. Um, like I mentioned in Throttle, it's kind of hard to put into words. I'm still sort of trying to process it. And it's actually cool. 
it's actually cool watching the videos. And I had mentioned to Gina last night, you know, after watching that little clip I had pulled out a couple of times, I was like, did we really do that? You know, because you, you look and see, like in my case, uh, on the main straightaway by the, you know, by the end of the straightaway, he had gotten up to 141 miles per hour. Gina, I think 145, uh, which, you know, she's a little bit lighter than I am. I mean, I probably have 90 pounds on her. So, which was interesting too, because you think about the fact you know, I'm guessing that bike, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing it weighs in probably around 400 pounds, you know, wet loaded with all the fuel and, and oil and whatnot. And then, uh, you know, Chris Ulrich is, you know, pretty, pretty big dude. So um, I'm guessing he, I don't know for sure, 190, 200 pounds. I'm a little over 200 pounds. So there was about 400 pounds of dude on the motorcycle, on a 400 pound motorcycle. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, it is a super bike, you know, it's, it's a very high performance uh you know, race bike. Uh, but that's not too bad hitting 141 miles an hour, you know, with 400 pounds on a 400 pound motorcycle. So that, I thought that was kind of interesting, but, um, yeah, it's really cool how they do it. Um, you know, they, they definitely make you feel, uh, very comfortable and welcome with the whole experience. There's an orientation where they kind of tell you what to expect. You know, first they get you set up with gear. So they had, a wide, a wide variety of, of sizes of things. So, you know, everyone from Gina through to, you know, a guy that was even bigger than me, you know, we all got set up with, um, Knox back protectors and then, you know, full leather race suits, you know, a racing quality helmet, gloves, boots, you know, the whole deal. Uh, so we all got suited up. I think they'd asked us to be there. It's about an hour before, you know, the first ride was going to go off. So, you know, everyone got suited up. They made sure everything fit us properly and whatever. And then, uh, you know, we all went out to the track. Well, actually, before that, they did like a little orientation. And they said, okay, so here's how the thing works. There is a grab handle that's mounted on the fuel tank. So with Chris sitting on the bike, you're sitting behind him, you know, up. You know, in my case, I'm tall enough. I can kind of see over his head. Gina, unfortunately, you know, being a little shorter in stature, wasn't really able to. So she kind of had to look to the side or whatever. But um, so basically sat behind him. They, uh, they made sure that your feet were properly planted on the rear passenger pegs. And then you just reach around both sides of Chris and just grab onto the, the handle. It's actually something that's available for street bikes. You know, for uh, when a, someone with a sport bike, you know, has a uh, passenger, you know, it's a handle, something for them to grab onto. Anyway, so you've got a really good hold on the bike. And then, you know, they said, okay, so, you know, Chris is going to go for it. I mean, this is a race bike. And, and one of the reasons they started this whole thing was to give people an idea of what it is like to be on a racing motorcycle. You know, I guess because maybe it was around, I think, when Moto America had first started and, you know, the press was starting to cover them. And, and I guess, I don't know, they had heard some negative comments from the press about, oh, you know, racing motorcycles, what's the big deal? You just go out on the track and you go around in circles. You know, what's, what's the challenge of that? So it's was like, okay, well, what better way to give people an appreciation for what motorcycling is than to get, you know, a reporter, a journalist, whatever, on the back of a superbike. And so I think that's how the thing initially started. And then, I don't know, whatever, they decided to open it up, or maybe fans and, you know, spectators had an interest in it. And so they've, they've been doing this now for quite a few years. I believe they said Chris has done about 1,300 of these over the years, which is amazing. I mean, that's a ton, a ton of experience, you know, giving giving rides to people on the back of a, a superbike. So anyway, so, um, so that's kind of how the whole thing got started. So I, I will say it definitely gives you an appreciation for it. Um, you know, so they said, you, you know, you'd be on the back of the bike with Chris. He's very experienced at doing this. But, you know, if you want the best ride possible and you want to give him the easiest time, you kind of need to, you know, f stick with the program and, and work with him. So 
you know, they, they said specifically, you know, you want to lean with him when he leans. You don't want to lean more than he leans, and you certainly don't want to counterbalance, you know, lean the opposite way, which a person might do if they were, you know, fairly new to motorcycling or not, not comfortable on the back. But the basic idea was let him do his thing, and then you just kind of, you know, go along with it. He's a very experienced rider and racer, so, you know, he haven't done all these rides you know he can handle if someone is not sitting properly or whatever but basically the message was if you want the best ride possible you know do the best you can to 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 play along you know play along nicely and uh, the other thing they warned us about is they said for sure people you know race bikes so you're gonna you're gonna you're not gonna be too surprised that the bike really accelerates fast but they said what most people don't realize is how quickly a super bike stops and so they said, you know, just be aware that when he slows down, your weight's going to be coming forward. And that's another reason for having those hand grips so that you can kind of help stabilize yourself. And then they also said, hey, you know, this is all about people enjoying the experience. You know, they, they want people to come and do this and have fun, not be scared to death or anything like that. You know, it, so it, it is being done for the people who are donating to take the ride. So, you know, they said when people get off the bike, they want to make sure they're smiling. So Basically, you had a little communication mechanism with Chris so that if a person was getting uncomfortable or was getting to be a little too much, they said, okay, so just, you know, you already got your arms around him. Just use your elbows, your arms kind of tap him in the sides and let him know, hey, you know, this is, we're getting to my, the, the, the level of my, my comfort, my comfort level. So, so that was really cool. And, uh, and, you know, I know Gina said at some point she made use of that and Chris was really cool about responding. You know, he either would like tap her hand on the tank or I think in one case kind of tapped her leg just to let her know, hey, I, I you know, I got the message. I got what you're saying. Um, but it's not like it was no, uh, like, uh, stroll through the daisies i mean if you watched her videos i mean he he was going at a good clip and i know she said she really really enjoyed it so it, it was really cool because uh i know she had a little trepidation you know leading up to doing it you know a couple of weeks beforehand she's like oh, i don't know if i really want to do this thing i mean she she wanted to do it she wanted to experience it but you know she just you know whatever kind of butterflies in the stomach and she just wasn't sure if she'd be comfortable and you know so i said to her i said look you know this is a donation for a really good cause if you want to do it awesome if you don't want to do it you know the come come the day of it or 5 minutes before it's your turn to get on the bike if you don't want to do it that's that's fine that's totally fine like that's you know i, I strongly believe that in any aspect it's not just motorcycling but right any any time someone's trying something new or or whatever you know trying something that's a little scary it's like you leave it up to them. If, if they want to do it and they want to push themselves through whatever they're experiencing, absolutely, go for it. But I would never, you know, egg, egg someone on to do something, something especially like that, that they just weren't comfortable with. But, you know, she decided, hey, she was going to go through with it, and, and she did. And, you know, she had little discomfort, like, you know, nerves and stuff here and there. But when she got off, she said she was so glad she did it. And I have to admit, even I, in the morning, you know, I woke up, like, really looking forward to this. And I had been, you know, for the whole week, two weeks leading up to it. But even I had butterflies in the stomach, and I don't even—I don't know exactly why. No rational kind of reason, but I was like, I don't know, whatever. Just you know, I guess it's survival instincts, right? You're about to do something that's potentially dangerous, and you know, you see motorcycle racers come off motorcycles, and uh, there's no guarantee. You know, as far as I know, he's got 100% safe record doing this. But you know, things happen. You never know what could happen, right? So maybe that's kind of where that comes from. But you know, of course, I didn't let that get in my way. And uh, even leading up to getting on the back of the bike, it was like even getting a little more intense. But I was like, okay, you know, we're going to do this thing. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it was just a blast. I mean, they um, they make sure you're seated properly. Your feet are on the pegs. They got the cameras turned on. Make sure your visor is down. Gene and I actually didn't realize, but on, 
I guess this is common on better helmets and particularly ones for the track. There's actually like a little lever, a little locking mechanism that makes sure that the visor stays down. So they make sure you're all good to go. They give Chris a little, you know, they ask you some questions. How much experience do you have riding? You know, so you could say, well, I've done track days or haven't done track days or how long you've been riding. And uh, so Dave, who works with Chris to just kind of help coordinate all this stuff and get all the riders set up and, you know, keep, keep everything moving, you know, Briefs Chris briefly. Okay, so here's the person that you're taking now. Here's the deal. And uh, they make sure everything's good to go. Chris gets the thumbs up and he just, you know, takes off. And so the the first lap, you know, I don't know if they do this at every racetrack, but in this case, basically, there was kind of a warm up lap where, you know, Chris was moving at a good pace, but he just you know, kind of takes it a little bit easy. I'm guessing in part because, you know, he's doing two laps with a person coming into the not to pit, but, you know, stopping the bike and then there's some delay and then another per- person's getting on and he's doing two laps. So he probably wants to make sure there's heat in the tires right before he really lays it on for the next person. So you kind of go out on this, you know, whatever siding lap and I guess just gives you a chance to get accustomed to being on the back of the motorcycle if you've never done that before, especially on a super bike and you get the feel of things and how, you know, moving with him works and the leaning and you get the feel for the acceleration and the braking. And then, uh, so he, he comes around and he comes around the final turn to the main straightaway. And, uh, as soon as he does that, he just opens it up and that bike, <laughs> you just go flying. It just was like flying down the straightaway. You know, I had, Gene and I had actually posted little clips. We had videoed each other, you know, when we took turns, we posted them. You could see it's just like, it's just like this flash of color going by. It's so fast. It's like, whoosh, you know, really, really fast. It sounds better than that. Of course, you know, really, really cool sport bike exhaust. Um, and and then you get down to the the end of the straightaway and the brakes go on hard and I, I mean I was able to with that handle you know take up all of the uh, the g forces in my arms because I was trying not to put any you know weight on Chris or make his life any more difficult or anything and then you just turn you know just it's a right hander and you just you know turn down and just sweep through this nice turn and you know basically you're you're on the same route you're on the same track that the racers are racing during the day. So just really, really cool experience. Um, bike got way over in some cases. You know, some turns we were doing 100-something miles an hour. This the slowest turn was about 50, 55 miles an hour, where the bike was just so leaned over. I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to get this thing over anymore. And it was interesting, too, just to see coming up to that turn how much he had to brake to slow the bike because it is a really slow turn, like maybe a second-gear turn or something like that. So it comes around that as another turn and maybe one more before the turn onto the straightaway. And you go under the bridge that crosses over from the outside of the track to the infield where all the traffic comes in, you know, the trucks that bring the motorcycles in and, you know, people come in to, to park their car and whatever. And they had mentioned that, you know, be aware when you get on the straightaway, you know, you're going to be doing over 100 miles an hour and you're going to feel the wind and you're going to feel pressure and tugging on the helmet. So you may want to tuck down a little bit. So before we even hit that turn before the straightaway, I had kind of, I was already, he was already opening up, you know, probably getting close to 100 miles an hour. I could feel the, the force of the wind on the helmet. So I had to tuck down a little bit. And as soon as we went under the bridge and we hit that turn and just hit that straightaway, then, then I really started to feel it. And he, like I said, he hit 141 miles an hour by the time he was at the end. Uh, it, it was just, it was just a blast. It was so much fun. Um, I highly recommend, you know, if you ever get a chance, try it. Like I said, it's for a great cause. It was a, it was a lot, a lot of fun. And um, it's interesting because I, I, I wish actually maybe that there was a, one or two more laps because I kind of felt, so the first 
lap, you know, you kind of get in the feel for it, you know, kind of what to expect. And then that second lap, he just goes for it and you really get the full thrill. You get the full experience of, you know, being on the back of a super bike, but there's so much going on. Like, you know, like I said, I was trying to keep my weight off of him, which was seem to be working fine. Make sure I was leaning properly, making his life as easy as possible. You know, one, just to make things easier for him, but two, just to get the best ride I could get. Um, and, and so just so much kind of going through my head. I definitely enjoyed it. And, I, you know, I got to observe everything going on. And it's kind of cool watching the video because you can see, you know, my, my eyesight seems to be kind of pretty much tracking with his. Like I was looking into the turn and looking as far ahead, you know, because kind of, you know, been reading up and learning about these things, right, proper way to... You know, turn a motorcycle and you always want to keep your, you know, eyes out in the distance, you know, so you know where you're going and what's coming up on you. And, you know, doing that really helps to increase the amount of time you have to respond to things. It feels like you're not going so fast when you're looking out more into the distance. But but anyway, so I don't know. I'm not sure if he got a knee down. I'm guessing on a couple of turns he did. And I was actually thinking about it going, you know, I probably could have gotten my knee down. <laughs> you know, or touch the track or something. But then I'm like, you know, you know what, it was better to just just go along for the ride, not do anything that was going to cause any difficulty or any problems for him. But uh, yeah, so overall, like I said, a blast better than any amusement park ride I've ever been on. Really, really glad I did it. Gina was glad she did it. I will probably do it again sometime in the future. Um, yeah, maybe next year or something like that. I think it'll especially be cool you know, if I get a chance to do some track days after that, then go and do it again and say, hey, Chris, by the way, you know, I've had some track experience. I'm, you know, even more comfortable on the bike and see maybe he uh, maybe he opens it up even more. But yeah, so like I said, ton of fun. Definitely recommend it. So uh, if, you're, if you're up for a thrill and you want to support a good cause and you want to either are a Motor America fan or you want to become one or you're thinking about doing track days or maybe even racing or something like that, definitely go check it out. So with that kind of backdrop for uh, racing and superbikes and being on a superbike and being on a track and just really experiencing what Moto America and motorcycle racing is all about, let's get on to tonight's show. I have two special guests tonight, both of whom are returning guests. My first guest is Moto America Twins Cup racer Chris Bays, who teamed up with me to co-sponsor the contest for a lucky listener to win a free weekend pass to see a Moto America race this season which was announced back on episode 23. So welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. Good to have you back. And my second guest is somewhat new rider and winner of the race weekend pass, John Gardner IV, also known as G4. So welcome, John. Third time's the charm. Maybe I won't make a fool of myself this time. I think you've been doing great. You've listened to those episodes, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for your faith in me. I assure you it's misplaced. Um, (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, so Chris, I'll start off with a question for you. So John has his nickname, not really a biker nickname, but his nickname G4. I've adopted this nickname, old man slacker. Do you have like a biker nickname or anything, a racer nickname that either you've adopted or has been assigned to you? You know, I, I don't think so. If I do, they, they don't say it to my face. Um, with, with the racers, we usually we do a lot of last names. Yeah. Um, a lot of last names, even if it's somebody that you know really well that you race with every weekend. It's, it's kind of last names are usually the game. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. That's cool. Greetings, I, I was, I was gentlemen Bays. How goes the racing today? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. So the the way the idea kind of came up for this doing you know doing this podcast together with the two of you is um John, I think it was actually 
after I had announced the the contest that you know Chris and I were teaming up to give away the you know the the, the Moto Americas you know ticket for the weekend right the, the the weekend pass, you had mentioned that you've never been to a race, uh, you weren't quite sure what to expect. You know, you were like, I, you know, is it something you should go to without having you know kind of some background in it? And uh, so I think I said, yeah, of course you should go no matter what because that's one of the things I'm encouraging people to get into racing and watch it and do whatever I can to help support Moto America. But then I was like, hey, it would be really cool, one, to have you on so that you know, I could answer whatever questions you had. And then I was like, well, since Chris you know, helped put this whole thing together with the ticket giveaway – and he's got a little more experience. Well, he's got a, <laughs> I have no experience racing, right? <laughs> he's, he's the racer. So it's kind of like, I was like, okay, so the two of us can kind of answer the questions. You know, I, I can kind of do it from the, you know, from the angle of a spectator, and obviously he can do it as someone who's got experience racing. So anyway, so I'm, I'm glad you guys could join me tonight. I think it would be, be a lot of fun. I hope the, the listeners enjoy it. Um, so, Chris, maybe uh, before we kind of get into John's questions, you want to just give us a little bit of an update because I know – you know, in the uh, Sonoma, was Sonoma round, right? In, uh, in, in practice, you had a, a bit of an off that uh, I, I know looked pretty wicked on, on the video on TV. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about that, how you're doing with your recovery and how the bike is doing and, and whatnot. Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, like you said, uh, we were in Sonoma a week and a half ago. And uh, it was second qualifying on Sunday morning before the race Sunday afternoon. And... Um, if for those that know Sonoma, there's some S's in the second half of the lap and basically bending the bike to the right. And then there's a little, a little ridge where you go over and the bike wheelies every lap. And, um, when I set the wheel down from that little wheelie, got into a tank slapper kind of, uh, head just shook more and more and more. And eventually it kind of bucked me off over the high side and, uh, came down, landed on, my arm, my shoulder and slid and tumbled for a while. And, um, unfortunately wasn't able to compete in the race later that day. So, uh, had some injuries to my, my left shoulder, left elbow, left forearm, but, um, seeing some improvement. Um, I'm still, still hopeful to be able to race this weekend in Pittsburgh, but kind of taking it day by day. I have, I have my, my arm on ice right now. So if you hear the, the crinkly noises, that's what that is. That's the ice pack. But uh, yeah, a little bit every day and, and still going to make the trip and, and go up there and test it out. Now, maybe it's uh, my perspective as a beginner. I've heard this term a few times. Uh, perhaps you could explain to me what a tank slapper is. Yeah. So um, think about when you go to the grocery store and you get the shopping cart with the wheel that won't go straight and it just wiggles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, the, the reason that the wheel usually goes straight is the trail force. So that yeah, the axle of the shopping cart is in front of the contact point of the shopping cart wheel. And that makes it kind of drag behind the axle and stay straight. Mm-hmm. And motorcycles the same way on the front end, where if you draw a line straight down the forks and then you look at where the contact patch is, the contact patch will be in front of that line in the fork. And that's what we call the trail, the distance from that imaginary line to the, the patch, right? And that's what makes the motorcycle want to go straight and be stable, amongst other things. So um, the tank slapper is when you get that instability, similar to the shopping cart wheel wiggling, um, and it can start wiggling and then, if you're unlucky, it will feed that energy back into the chassis and into the rider's body. 
and create sort of a feedback loop. So instead of stabilizing, it gets worse and worse. Oh, oof. And sometimes it ends in uh, a crash. Sometimes it just sorts itself out. Dear goodness. Uh, well, which, I'm very glad that you walked away from it, at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, definitely wasn't fun, but um, just, just an arm injury, so nothing, nothing too, too serious. Um, just a really bad time. It was the first, uh, the first race of the last four rounds of the season. So we have, like, race, off week, race, off week, race, off week, race. Four events and seven weekends, and it's not a good time to go go break all my stuff <laughs> yeah for, for sure and so during the the kind of the, the middle of the summer is when it kind of goes every month right there's, there's like, like a couple race weekends where it's a month in between yeah there's kind of um kind of a concentrated part of the schedule in the springtime and then it spaces out through the summer and then a big big push at the end so uh yeah you never you never choose to crash but i, I picked a bad time no, of course I got it, but but <laughs> if if the, the more recovery time, the better, right? Yeah, it would be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, so the the bike you have for this coming weekend is that the bike you've been racing, or are you using a different bike? Yeah, um, I actually had somebody offer me a bike, so I'm going to be riding something else this weekend. Um, the uh, the logistics of our program is such that my crashed bike went in the trailer and went to Pittsburgh where it sits and I won't get my hands on it until Thursday before the race. So if we absolutely had to, I'm sure we could get it, get it fixed. Assuming, uh, nothing else is wrong that we didn't spot, but, um, definitely kind of a high risk plan. So, um, instead friend was nice enough to offer his, um, Yamaha FCO seven, Mm-hmm. and um was looking for a rider that for that bike and uh kind of kind of works out great so um the plan is for me to ride his fc07 and uh i'm sure the bike will be will be great hopefully the rider's ready gotcha. <laughs> and i can, gotcha, gotcha. I can show yeah. what it's capable of yeah cool, cool. i can definitely attest to the fine engineering of yamaha's <laughs> 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 well, I guess I guess you guys were talking when it went before I came back a little bit about your bike, John. Yes, your, uh, your Tracer nine hundred. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yamaha's a nice bikes for sure. Um, so, what was the other thing, Chris? I was going to ask you. Um, well, I don't know. It escapes my mind, so that's 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 fine. So, John, uh, any any first question you have to start off with? Uh, yes. So, um, as, uh, Chris, um, okay, I'm now going to have to start referring to you guys by last name. I understand it that's, now. That's, <laughs> that's, we have Chris and Chris. that's, that's fine. <laughs> All right. So as Geis was saying earlier, um, I, I've never been to a motorcycle. I've actually never been to an automobile race before. And, uh, my family was, uh, never really much into uh, sports of any kind. And so this is uh, an entirely new world for me. So, um, I guess to start off with, um, uh, what is a deuce? Uh, how many racers are there on an offense? line how many strikes until it's a fumble and how many points is a hole in one yes i, this, I see i see this, so we're, we're starting at uh step one yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> this is where g-force humor shines through <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean I, I think that there are a lot of different things to like about motorcycle racing and i think um different people will find different things interesting um you know, some people go because they're really into the the bikes and the mechanicals and the engineering of the thing. Um, you know, you want to see cool like custom swing arms and carbon fiber tanks and um, 
you know, kind of the engineer type person. So uh, you might go wander around the pits and around the paddock because you can really get right up close to all these things and, and, and check out kind of some of the cool stuff and some of the differences between the teams and the manufacturers. Um, other people are really into just kind of the, the sensation of the thing, right? Like <laughs> it's just cool to see bright colors fly by making loud noises, you know, <laughs> and folks will just go, go set up shop on the hillside and just, just take it in. Um, and then you got folks that want to like go collect autographs and talk to racers and talk to the crew and Moto America is great for that. Cause it's a very accessible paddock. Your, your, anybody's ticket that gets you in the gate, gets you full access to the whole facility. You can just go walk right up and talk to people. Um, and then, uh, you know, some people like to go for the party. So <laughs> right. plenty, plenty to eat, plenty to drink. And, uh, for those that, that camp, there's usually a, a good celebration, on Friday and Saturday night out in the campgrounds. Hmm. So, so are you going to pack your tent, John? Uh, no, I don't have the ability to do so yet. <laughs> I was thinking of getting a, an Airbnb in Pittsburgh because I also yeah. want to see an attraction or two while I'm there. Okay. Cool. I um, am a, 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 one of the reasons why I got the tracers because I like to do a lot of uh, uh, traveling and road tripping. And um, I gave myself this really stupid idea that I regret uh, a few months ago to visit uh, every single university in the state of Pennsylvania. So I <laughs> thought I might just stop by if you will. I'm there. Cool. Gotcha. I think it's cool that you're going for the weekend, though, because uh, there, there are a lot of different activities and things. And so it, it's pretty much. It pretty much goes nonstop from, I don't know, Chris, when did things start? Kind of 8, 9 in the morning, like the first warm-up practice? Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's probably eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning until 5, 5.30 in the evening every day. Yeah. And so I know, John, and not to kind of change order on you or whatever and skip around, but um, I know you were asking <laughs> about the, the different classes, right? So Moto America races five different classes during the weekend. Uh, some of which are a single race and some of which are two races. So there's like tons and tons of action. So between practice and warm up, you know, for the guys to get out on the bikes, the guys and women to get out on the bikes, see how they're performing, what needs to possibly be tweaked or whatever to perform. Right. Because that's and maybe we don't want to get too much into this, but an interesting thing with racing is every track is different. So the setup of the bike and there's, there's lots of things that can be changed. And maybe Chris will talk about that in a little bit, but there's lots of things that can be changed on the bike. And so the thing becomes on a given track, what's the setup that's going to be best for that rider on that bike on that track, given the weather conditions. And so there's, that's one of the things that makes racing so fascinating to someone like me. Cause I, I like kind of all the aspects of it, including like the, the tech geek kind of part of it, you know, is like all, all that engineering kind of stuff that goes into it. Um, and, and that's why it's, it's really interesting because it is truly a team sport. And I don't know, Chris, if you and I talked about that, but I know I was talking with someone about that, that, you know, yes, of course, there's the racer on the bike, but, and, and, and Chris will talk about this maybe, it depends on the size of the team, right, and, and the size of the effort, but there's lots of people who can be involved. You know, you can have mechanics and engineers and, you know, people who look at the data and then people who do the marketing and people who do the hospitality stuff and bring the guests in and, in a case with Chris, you probably do a lot of that, right? <laughs> because as, <laughs> as, a, as a smaller a smaller team. Um, but anyway, so the, the point, John, is there's tons of stuff going going on during the weekend. Personally, I find it not like overwhelming, but y you can't just you can't see it all. So it's kind of like, but there's always something going on, you know. So you kind of just you just walk around, soak it in, and like what catches your attention. 
you know, maybe, maybe you see a racer just came off the track and you can go kind of follow them to the garage and they'll talk with you, give you an autograph or whatever. Or, huh. you know, you sit, you sit up in the stands and you watch the practice. You know, there's so much you can learn. Um, so I guess I'll or, have to get an autograph book. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or you, or you buy a poster or bring a T-shirt or, you know, whatever. Just on the autograph thing real quick, a lot of the, the teams bring their own promotional posters. So I think like maybe like uh, 12 by 24 with that rider and, and their team and their sponsors. And then there'll be an autograph session. I think they typically do it around lunchtime on Saturdays and Sundays where everybody sets up tables and gives you, gives all the posters for free and autographs for free. Yeah. They'll have to be there then. Yeah. But so uh, this leads into one of the questions that I had. Um, what exactly is the, the, the back end of racing, like I, I, the management of the team? Are you basically the CEO of the entire operation or do you have uh, somebody like a football coach that you have to answer to? What's it like? Yeah, so I, I'd say there's a there's a wide spectrum. Um, there uh, there are large teams which I've I've never been a part of, so you know, take take this for what it's worth. But <laughs> there are teams where uh, it, it is an incorporated business. That's what they do. They've been doing this for twenty or thirty years, and so there you're going to have a team owner who's going out there secure and and probably hiring somebody to do marketing and sponsorship. Someone to do operations similar to run the race program. And then um, within the race program structure, you've got different specialists, you know, suspension guy, chassis guy, engine builders. Then you got truck driver slash chef um, and potentially someone doing a hospitality process. So that's kind of like top of the food chain. Um, on, on the other end, you have uh, me, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, uh, Jack of all trades, and uh, not it's not a it's not my business. It's my my hobby, and so you know I'm I'm riding, doing some mechanicing, um, trying to raise sponsorship, promote, um, and then um, certainly have a lot of uh, sponsors and friends that have different skills, whether it be um, building engines or fabricating parts, um, and they're all very much unpaid help, but. <laughs> they like to help. So, um, and then you got a, a bunch of teams in between, right? That, that fall somewhere in the middle. So how do you go about uh, finding people to help and be part of your crew? Um, are they just all uh, friends of yours or did you go to ziprecruiter.com slash? So you want to ride a motorcycle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice organic plug, but no, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, everybody's a friend, you know, um, the the race community is is very open um if you go on you know social or forums or whatever and say hey i want to start racing and here's where i am and how do i get started you will have tons of people respond and and help and then once you get involved that i found that just continues whether it be hey does anybody have this part or this tool or somebody just um enjoys racing with you and wants to have a beer afterwards and, and become friends. So, um, so no, I've, I've never really tried to hire anybody. There certainly are plenty of great people available to crew for hire. Um, but, uh, it's always just been, been a natural friendly thing for us. And, you know, at some point I probably won't be continuing to race with this, this level or this intensity, this, this many resources in my program and hopefully I will have picked up enough skills that I can help somebody else out on their career. Mm -hmm. huh. 
cool, cool. One, uh, I, I did actually, as you were talking, Chris, I remembered the question I had from earlier. Just you were talking about, you know, your bike and, you know, using a borrowed, you know, borrowed friend's bike for this coming weekend. So, like, in terms of logistics, I, I guess, is there someone who takes your bike, like the Suzuki SV650, from track to track? Usually, no. Um, the, the normal way we do things is um, I, I store everything here where I live in Tennessee, and then I have like a 20-foot trailer toy hauler. Okay. Wherever we go, I, you know, check out of work, drive all night, get there, unload, race, load, drive home. Right. Um, however, uh, this year doing the West Coast rounds with Moto America, that's obviously not possible. So um, another friend... Uh, has a large trailer, so four of us put all of our gear in that one large trailer, and one of the four has been driving it from round to round and storing it locally. Um, and he's able to work from wherever he is, and, and he's flown back and forth a few times. And we're all just kind of sharing costs there, which yeah. uh, which works out great. It's cheaper than anybody could do it by themselves by by splitting. And and we're all we're all friends. We're still friends. <laughs> And uh, it's been it's been a cool experience, like not just shipping stuff out there with them, but getting the Airbnbs and going out to dinner and um, just just having that that shared experience. Yeah, that's really cool. Are, are all of them in Twins Cup? Uh, no, I'm the weirdo. Uh, the other three are stock 1000 competitors. OK, um, so definitely much, much faster bikes. But um Sometimes I put up faster lap times than some of them. So, you know, I can kind of hold that over. <laughs> There's that. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, John. Yeah, this yeah, seems question. like an excellent opportunity for me to uh, butt in with a question. Hey, Siri, what is Twins Cup? Yeah, so uh, I, I do race in the Twins Cup. And Twins refers to the number of cylinders. Two-cylinder motorcycles between 600 and 800 cc's. Mm-hmm. Um more specifically, uh, homologated bikes include the Suzuki SV650, the Yamaha FZ07 slash MT07, same bike, um, Ducati Monster 797, I believe, the Kawasaki 650 Twin, whatever they call that these days, EX650 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I believe the Harley 750 is technically legal, but no one's going to race that. No one's got it, right. And <laughs> I think there's one Kawasaki this year? Yeah, there is. I think it's called a EX650, or they may have rebranded it. But the Kawasaki 650 oh, parallel. Okay, got it. But it seems, I know from from looking, and, and by the way, like, John, actually, I think, John, you've already gone to the Motor America website, right? You kind of were looking looking around. I definitely encourage listeners to do that. There's a lot of really cool information there, you know, including, you know, seeing who's racing in each series and what bike they're on. And a Twins Cup is predominantly Yamaha and um and Suzuki, right? And I think there's the, the one Kawasaki, and then we got one the one Ducati Monster, right? Yeah, there are uh, there are two Ducatis now, okay. um, and then I've seen one person. No, two people have brought out Kawasaki's at different points in the year. No season competitors that I know of, right? Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of Suzukis and and quite a few Yamahas. So that covers the Twins Cup. Um, uh, I saw from the uh, itinerary of the weekend that there are the Super Sports. Um, the super bikes and then the what uh liqui molly junior cup race uh how do those differ 
I'm assuming in different type of bike, or is it more complicated? Uh, you got it. It's it's mostly about the type of motorcycle. So um, let's see. Uh, kind of, we'll work from the bottom up. So the Junior Cup, uh, where Liquid Molly is the sponsor, uh, Junior Cup are small bikes with young people. So um, I think the maximum age there is 25, and the maximum uh, displacement is basically like 399 cc's. So, um, this year that class is pretty much entirely Kawasaki Ninja 400s. Um, although you can also run a Yamaha R3 or a KTM 390, but, um, it seems like the Cowie is the bike to have. Um, so, uh, that's kind of like the, the starter class for, um, you know, up and coming kids that are hoping to, to do that professionally. Uh, then you got the, uh, 600s, uh, the super sport class. So that's kind of like your... Uh, most long-standing class, the 600 class, uh, Yamaha R6, Suzuki GSX-R600, Kawasaki ZX6. Um, great racing in that class. They have uh, less electronics, and, and those guys are just going like flat out all the time. Uh, and then uh, kind of the, the premier, premier class is Superbike. So those are 1,000cc uh, 1, bikes. Um, Yamaha R1, Suzuki GSX-R1000, um, Kawasaki ZX-10s, and then Kyle Wyman's racing a Panigale V4R. Uh, so big bikes, more electronics, more modifications, and, and definitely the most, probably in general, the most talented riders. That's, that's kind of like top level of the series. Um, the one we haven't talked about yet, just to round it out, is the Stock 1000 class. So uh, Stock 1000 is a similar motorcycle to what you would see in Superbike, but by rule, they're, they're not allowed to modify them very much. Um, so it's, it's a much more uh, economical way to go racing 1000s, uh, which is sort of an oxymoron, but <laughs> more economical than Superbike. Um, and so uh, that's where a lot of, a lot of my, uh, my friends that we're traveling with, they're all racing the Stock 1000 class. Is this what you were talking about in your last interview of uh, trading bolts uh, to to the lighter titanium versions? Um, yeah, that definitely comes. Yeah, that comes into play. There is because there with with each racing class, there are you know the the rules are different about what you can and can't do. Right. So the basic idea with stock one thousand, right? It it is also a leader bike, but the rules are such that you can't modify as much on a stock 1000 bike as on like a super bike. Um, and, and so it, I think the basic idea is it helps keep the cost down, right? Cause, cause the thing is everyone wants to go as fast as they can go. Right. And so they'll spend as much time and money as they can to do that. So if you leave it kind of open and Chris jump in, if I'm you know, saying anything that's off base, but if, if you leave it open, kind of like MotoGP or like in cars, formula one, like that's pretty much, I mean, there are rules and, and, and regulations as to, you know, specifications and things, but it's pretty much as much money as you can bring to the table you can spend. And you'll often find, you know, that the teams that dominate are the ones that bring the most money to the table. And so that makes it more, it's, it's less of a racer's race. It's more about the equipment and the team and the ability to organize and the sponsors you can get and how much money you have. Whereas other series, like something like Stock 1000 is it's considered more of like a spec series where it's 
the bikes are very similar because of the rules and regulations, and so it's much easier to see the, the, the difference in rider technique and competence. Fascinating. Yep. It's yeah. it's interesting. You can if you watch Stock One Thousand or you look at the season results for Stock One Thousand, you might see a certain manufacturer that consistently wins and and gets the top positions. But then when you go look in the superbike glass where they're allowed to do many more modifications, you may not find that manufacturer anywhere in sight. Um, and it's so it kind of shows you like off the showroom floor maybe which bike is actually closer to being a race bike. But um, then when a, a top-level team is able to make the modifications and put on the electronics and build the custom parts they want to build, uh, they can take a different platform and actually develop it much further. Um, so, again, it kind of just depends on um, what you're interested in and, and why you go racing. <laughs> is it to race as much as you can for, for, the, for your dollar, or is it to uh, really engineer these bikes to go as fast as you possibly can? Yeah, th this is maybe a bit of a spoiler and a teaser at the same time. But uh, I, I did one of, one of the episodes that I haven't released yet. I interviewed Kyle Wyman, and we were talking about his his Ducati, and it, it was interesting because one of the things he mentioned was that you know in Superbike, he's the only racer that has a bike that's like off the showroom floor, pretty much. Where the other bikes are bikes that you know are basically kits, like kind of race bike kits you know whether you're racing a suzuki yamaha or whatever um so it, it just it's a different brings a different element to it but i think it's really cool that ducati is in superbike because it just brings it's that much more flavor you know it's, it's good to have more brands and kind of things so that's yeah, it's pretty interesting um also chris just since you mentioned the term homologation and because i want to just kind of clear this up for myself and for any anyone who's listening and john so it says, this is from Wikipedia, it says, in motorsports, homologation is the type approval process through which a vehicle, a racetrack, or a standardized part is required to go for certification to race in a given league or series, right? So it's basically like, what, what, what's okay? What, you know, what, what can fly in this particular series? And so you'll hear, particularly in automobile racing, um, you know, you'll hear about manufacturers going through the homologation process. And it's an interesting thing because sometimes the allegation is that a manufacturer releases a production model or like a package on a vehicle, a car or something so that they can get it accepted and homologated into the race series in which they compete and often to their advantage, right? So, you know, depending on the rules, like if it's a production type class, right? So it says you can only have the kind of things that come on the production car. So Mercedes goes, oh, well, guess what? We're going to come out with a car that has two turbos on it and we're going to sell that, you know, as a production model. I mean, okay, maybe not, not a lot of people are going to buy it, but that's partly, you know, part, one of the things that factors in. Oh, yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Thank you so much for clarifying that, because as a scientist, a homologation has a very, very different meaning in genetics, and I wouldn't have mm. known. Okay, yeah. and that's what's tricky about English. <laughs> some, <laughs> some words have very different meanings. Yeah, um, you know, I, as I understand it, I think the, the spirit of homologation with motorsports is to make sure that um, any team could, could obtain a given part or a given machine, right? Um, it's like we can't just build one. Yeah. Give it to you because you are our sponsored golden boy. Right. Um, but it, the efficacy of that really just depends on what what are the numbers. So does does homologation start when you build fifty or when you build five hundred? Right. And does it 
does it mean that the bike has to cost below a certain amount of money? Because <laughs> you could build a thousand. And there are stories like this where they're like, yeah, we built 500 because that was the homologation requirement. And we priced them all at 100 grand and we put them in crates and we stuck them in a warehouse. Right. And we gave five to our race team. <laughs> and anybody can buy one if they want. Right. Um, so, so I think organizers have gotten wise to that over the years. I think the world superbike numbers now are like, I don't know, it's like 40 grand or 60 grand is like the maximum that any bike can cost, no matter if it's a homologation special. So, like, if you're running a world superbike team, you can afford 50 grand on your motorcycle. You're going to spend 50 grand on your motorcycle before right. you're you're done with it. So uh, I think it's harder to, to game those rules now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it does make sense when you have a, a series based on production bikes. Sure. Sure. But, but it is, it is interesting that kind of history of I mean, it. I guess it's like any human endeavor when you have rules, there's always people who are looking like, you know, where's the loopholes, right? And where can you, you know, how, how can you play according to the rules, the way that they're written or interpreted and, you know, get the outcome that you want to get. But yeah, I think, I think that's an interesting difference between motorsports and call it stick and ball sports. I think it, stick and ball sports seem to have some notion of honor <laughs> of like, well, that's not the, that's not the spirit of the game. And, and motorsports has, none of that it's like well if you're not cheating you're not trying right yeah i've heard i've heard that one <laughs> and well, i, I it's mean because you can't do doping in uh, motorsports well well, unless, well actually you know well it's kind of interesting i mean you know, I, I, since you mentioned the word doping there was, there was something that had come up i think it was last year or two years ago on american flat track where one of the racers who was leading in the standings was accused of doping the tires where basically the, the idea is you can treat the rubber tire with a compound that makes it stickier, perform better, differently, whatever. Um, which I guess in American flat track is against the rules. So it, it's not exactly the same thing as like in, you know, you know, stick and ball sports, but, or like Olympics and stuff like that. But yeah, you have that concept. I, I've heard stories like I, I knew a guy who, was a mechanic on a NASCAR NASCAR team or something like that. And the thing there was you were, I don't know, restricted by the amount of, I guess the size of the fuel tank, right? And so the thing is, you know, sometimes, you may not have seen this, John, but like you'll see sometimes, it's rare nowadays, but sometimes in a car race or motorcycle race, someone will run out of fuel on the track. And I've even seen it like on the last lap, you know, where someone coasts across the finish line because they had just enough fuel. So, you know, it's like, the faster you go, the more fuel you burn, right, kind of thing. And the, the faster you accelerate, the more fuel you burn. So there's like this trade-off kind of thing. So anyway, so this guy was saying that on his team, they had found a way to make the the the, ho- the filler hose from the, uh, you know, basically the filler cap or whatever, pipe into the tank, very, very large diameter. So that the, that hose that went to the tank actually held like a gallon of gas. And and they could do it because there was no rule that said like how what how big in diameter that hose could be, you know. Until someone saw they were doing it, and then it's like then there was a rule that says well now the diameter has to be you know such and such. So <laughs> there's always these you know interpretations of the rules, I guess. Speaking of rules, uh, you guys have mentioned this a few times, uh, but I've heard uh, MotoGP, Moto America, uh, what is it, American Flat Track. Uh, perhaps could you explain to me all of the different, um, for lack of a better word, uh, leagues of motorcycle racing? Sure. So I'll take a crack at this and Chris jump in You know where, where you see appropriate. Okay, so first, American Flat Track is 
I'm going to make what a wild guess is... here that they race motorcycles on tracks that are flat. Kind of. Mostly. Yes, mostly that is correct. Um, the primarily, well, primarily they race on dirt, right? So they're, they're dirt tracks, usually ovals. I'm not, I don't know all, all the, the whatever rules and regulations with American flat track, but they probably go tracks from like a half mile to a mile, maybe a little longer in distance. Now, there is something called a TT, like American Flat Track. They have, I think, at least two TT races, which actually, I believe, involve jumps. So it's not always just flat. And there may even be paved sections, which then gets into another form of racing, which is called, um, escapes me now. Uh, Supermoto. What is that? Supermoto. Supermoto, right. Thank you. Where actually, yeah, the, the racers race on tracks that are a combination of dirt and asphalt pavement and and that actually was really really popular was it like 70s time frame something like that uh yeah it got big in the 70s and i had another moment early 2000s okay but still kind of a, kind of a niche thing see a lot more of it out west yeah um but so like um i mean harley was dominant in american flat track for many many years and then indian came on the scene and you know i guess whatever pumped a lot of money into it hired the best riders and i haven't followed this season but i know for a couple seasons past couple seasons they were dominating um kawasaki's in there but they're usually you know someplace that they don't make it to the podium that often so I, maybe that's why i don't follow follow american <laughs> flat that much talk but, about um, partisanship so, right so okay so that so it's actually interesting because so then you know, american flat track is a little bit of a cross between road racing which is what chris does and like dirt racing, right? Which is things like motocross, supercross. So some of which is done on outdoor tracks, some of which is done in indoor stadiums, which is really cool to see. That's when they do like these high flying jumps and, and stuff like that. Um, and then, so the other series, you've got road racing series and there are lots of them, right? Cause there is club racing, you know, which is just amateur racing. You know, people just want to race and they, they fund everything out of their own pocket, or I guess maybe can have some sponsors for equipment and gear and stuff like that. But basically they just do it for the fun of it. It's not, you know, it's not competing for money or anything like that. It's bragging rights, I guess is the way to put it. And then you have, you know, the professional series like Moto America, World Superbike, Moto GP. Now, Moto GP basically, you know, maybe with the exception of Isle of Man, right? So Isle of Man is the race done on the Isle of Man, which is between Great Britain and um, Scotland. Sorry, Ireland. <laughs> Geography. Um, that, that's interesting because that's all on public roads, and it's a, very dangerous, it's a very dangerous race. And those guys, they go, you know, hell-bent for glory, just like the MotoGP guys do. But MotoGP, I would say, basically is, is kind of the, the elite, the top of the sport in terms of the equipment, the rider skill, the money that's spent. The popularity it's extremely popular outside the United States, you know, Europe and Asia and things of that sort. I, I would say, Chris, World Superbike kind of falls, would you say, between MotoGP and Moto America in terms of, you know, budgets and equipment and. Yeah, totally agree. Okay. Yeah. And, although, I mean, well, I mean, honestly, probably World Superbike and Moto America Superbike are equivalent. I mean, you know, in terms of rider skill and and the equipment is probably similar yeah it's i i'd probably put world superbike a half a step above um moto america but but they're very similar um both so um world superbike like moto america is racing based on production motorcycles bikes you can buy in the showroom um 
And uh, similar to Moto America, you have other national level series. So there's like British Superbike, right. comparable to Moto America, very strong national series. And then you see it all over the place. So Australian Superbike, German Superbike, Spanish have a big series. Um, all of that is based on, on production motorcycles you can buy. Uh, where MotoGP really stands apart is that's by rule prototype racing. You're explicitly not allowed to buy to race a bike in MotoGP that you can buy somewhere else. And I can just imagine somebody packing a 3D printer into the back of an 18 wheeler. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they have some pretty cool fabrication stuff. Um, and and in the last uh, you know probably 10 10 years or so. Uh, maybe a little longer, MotoGP has, has been kind of that that highest level series where you see the, the best riders, um, the most fans. Um, but it actually hasn't always been that way. As you go back, um, you know, closer to uh, the early 2000s and, and at different periods over the years, sometimes World Superbike has been kind of where the fastest guys go, and other times Grand Prix has been where the fastest guys go. So it, it kind of ebbs and flows over the years, but MotoGP is uh, really, really in a great era right now in terms of the product and the racing and, and the bikes and the, the close competition. So um, I, I'm certainly, certainly more of a fan of MotoGP than World Superbike right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotcha. Now, uh, to all of the leagues, I'm assuming then that you want to someday, if you could, if you had your brothers, make it into MotoGP? Uh, or is there another uh, type of uh, league that is a little bit more in line with what you want? Or are you uh, happy with um, Moto America because of, a, say, a certain rule classification? Uh, where do you want to go in your racing career? Yeah, I mean, for, for me personally, um, I'm I'm really pleased with where I am now. I think if I could... Um, if I could put the right program together to sustain what I'm doing now for, for a few more years, that would be awesome. Um, I, I am old for a motorcycle racer. Uh, you know, kids, kids break into MotoGP. They break into the, the lower class GP is a 15, right? I'm 37. <laughs> so that ship, that ship sailed. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I, I love, uh, I love the Moto America paddock. That's a really cool scene to be a part of. I also still love club racing. So, um, you know, at this point, my goal is just to improve my, my skills and go faster and, and try to continue to enjoy what I'm doing now. Um, now, you talk to others in the Twins Cup series, um, those are a little earlier in their career. Absolutely. I think they're looking to secure rides with uh, Super Sport 600 teams and, and maybe even move on to uh, Super Bikes one day. And I think that that's a really cool thing about that class is that you can it supports a mix, right? So you know there's an opportunity for people that like Alex Dumas, right, is racing in in um, Twins Cup. Um, so there's an opportunity for them one to race with more seasoned racers, right? So that because you build your racecraft that way also. But then the fact that you know people who aren't you know, can't afford or the lives aren't in a way that they can just be a pro racer and just race all the time. So it, it, I don't know, it, it just helps broaden things out. And I think, I think the, the package that Moto America has put together that way with the five classes and the rules is, is really, it's really good. And, and John, you know, I, I think I mentioned this in past episodes, but one of the goals of Moto America is to be a race series where young riders can come in and kind of 
bubble up through the ranks and learn their racecraft, in part with the idea of, of going to World Superbike and MotoGP and things of that sort, if that's what the racer wants. But I think it's really cool that, like, to Chris's point, like, if, if this, you know, if, if, if you're enjoying that series, Twins Cup, or whatever it is, there's a place there, you know, and, and, and it's good racing. I mean, what to me, what makes racing interesting is just the competitiveness. It doesn't, yeah, MotoGP is cool. I love seeing those bikes, but, you know, I, I've seen, you know, whatever. You know, you can see kids racing 300cc bikes, and it's still a lot of fun, you know, because of the competition and, you know, not, not knowing what's going to happen kind of thing. So Moto America is where it's at. Uh, guess I won the right ticket then. Well, there you go. <laughs> Came to the right place. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, yeah, going back to the different types of tracks, um, uh, is there a particular? Uh, I'm assuming that you prefer um, road tracks, uh, asphalt, and whatnot. Uh, is there a particular uh, uh, track or circuit, or or maybe type of um, uh, asphalt circuit that you enjoy the most? Um, uh, or do you take every track as it comes and try to master each one individually? Yeah. Um, I'd say there's not really anywhere that I just actually dislike going. I, I certainly prefer some tracks more than others. Um, I, I find that my, my style, the things I'm good at, I, I tend to, uh, finish higher on tracks that are faster corners and more um, longer corners as opposed to tracks where you have lots of rapid changes of direction or a series of corners strung together. Um, You know, it kind of shows me what skills I need to work on, but uh, you know, generally I like the tracks where I go faster because it's more fun. Um, I'll say my, my very favorite track is actually uh, Pittsburgh where we're heading this weekend. Um, I think it, it just has, um, it has a great layout, great quality race surface. Um, most of it's got plenty of runoff, so it's a pretty safe track and, and a nice, nice facility. So, um, I'd say it's, it's definitely my favorite place to go race and, um, definitely, uh, highly motivated to get this, this elbow moving so I can get out there and enjoy it this year. Cause uh, last year, I, I did manage to get a third place. So, um, you know, obviously I have some speed there and I want to want to be able to capitalize on that this weekend. I was watching uh, one of your YouTube videos. I think it was uh, from Pittsburgh 2017. Uh, mm. You were talking about yeah. cornering, um, at <laughs> least to me being new rider and all that. The cornering is terrifying uh, especially in the early portion of the video when everybody was uh, so close together it was just so weird to me to see all of these people uh, all of a sudden just tip over to a degree that was uh, should not be possible <laughs> uh, I, I guess uh, could you talk a little bit more about uh, the the cornering process then since that seems to be one of your aptitudes yeah sure so you know People have written whole books on that, right? But I, I'd say the first thing I'd say is taking a quarter on a motorcycle is the same regardless of what motorcycle you're on or what surface you're on. The, the, the physics are the same. Um, and the essential techniques are the same. It's look where you want to go. Be loose on the bike. Let it, don't, don't death grip the bars. Be smooth. Don't, don't make sudden inputs. Not to say be slow, but be smooth. You can get the throttle from closed to wide open pretty damn fast. And you can do that by jerking it open or by cracking it and rolling it on 
progressively loading up the rear tire, right? So uh, fundamentally, it's the same. Um, once you get up to road race speeds, you definitely are using your your body weight a bit more and trying to feel uh, feel traction front and rear and adjust accordingly, front, back, and uh, inside or outside of the bike to try to you know maximize uh, grip of both tires. But fundamentally, that's the same. A lot. A lot of people try to ride fast and spend a lot of time working on body position and this and that. And most of them are not going fast enough that it matters. Um, mostly it's about put your bike in the right place, look at the right things and just be precise and smooth. So I don't need to worry about getting a knee down anytime soon. <laughs> no, you can go pretty fast and not put your knee down. Like, um, <laughs> you can, uh, you could qualify in the top 20 for a Moto America twins race and not put your knee down. You couldn't win one. <laughs> I think I might but, have a career. <laughs> but um, you know, if you if you like bet me a hundred bucks to to go run a a club race, and finish on the podium without putting my knee down, I, I think I I could take your money. <laughs> depends it depends who shows up. But <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But yeah, what, now what, going what's, back what's to Pittsburgh 2017, and I guess also uh, your, your most recent race experience. What exactly is it like to crash? Because you've seemingly walked away from things that I would have thought would have resulted in, I, I don't know, um, uh, limb dismemberments. How exactly do you, uh, is there like a specific technique that you use to, you know, not die at speed? Is it just lots and lots of gear or um, what specifically? Um, well, you know, every every crash is different, right? Um, majority of crashes are just, the, the sensation is disappointment or anger or uh, uh, the mark of a two racer. financial financial damage, you know, um, lots, lots of those little low side. So low side crashes usually when the bike just kind of falls off the inside and the rider just hits the ground. Um, and that's usually just annoying and frustrating. Um, and you slide a little bit. And that's that. Um, sometimes when you're going faster, you might tumble. Or in certain situations, you get a high side crash where the bike loads and then unloads and spits you up in the air. And that's that's always the, the worst kind as a rider. Um, but depending on the nature of the crash, you know, my mindset might be like, you know, damn. Or it might be, uh, you know, I hope the bike doesn't tumble. <laughs> uh, and then other times it's like, oh, this is going to suck um sometimes you have enough uh you have time to think about it and nothing you can do and that's that's not good but um you know adrenaline takes over and you just kind of do whatever you do it's not a you're not like thinking well maybe i should put my hand out you just kind of react yeah um so but there's I've, no I've pretty good luck with uh, like um oh that person uh, is hauling my bike to the next race i'll crash into the other guy instead <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I would never try to crash into anybody, right? But um, there, I am going to race my friends harder than I'm going to race a stranger, um, because I know how they, I know how they ride, and um, if we, you know, if we kind of bang, bang fairings or touch elbows or something, I mean, that's that's not a big deal. Um, I'm not going to go run them off the track or anything, but. Um, if I trust a rider, I'm more likely to try to, to attempt a close pass. Um, now there are situations where like last year 
last round of the year, my, my friend Chris Parrish was trying to clinch a championship. And while he typically does go faster than me on this day, he was kind of in cruise control, trying to just finish finish good enough to get his championship points, but not pushing it. And so he was ahead of me, and I was going faster. And I could have made a move a few times, but I didn't want to risk it. You know, I didn't want to take him out and then ruin his season championship. So I made sure that I had it. But I would have done that whether we were friends or not. You know, it's like, I don't want to be that guy that takes yeah. out the champ. Yeah. Um, but most weekends, I'll, I'd be happy to shove it up the inside and knock him out of the way when I get a chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like a gentleman's cutthroat. Yeah, well, it's it's racing, you know. We didn't we didn't come out here to ride around and parade, <laughs> right? Sure, sure. And and I'm sure too. Like you know, if someone if you win a race or wherever you place, you you want to know. It's like anything. You want to know you earned it. Like it wasn't, you know, right. ha- handed to you or made easy. Although it is interesting to watch MotoGP and sometimes see one team member member take out another one. Like not not on purpose, but that, that you know they are, you know, and and again, it is a different level of racing where you know like. Next year's contract may depend on the outcome of the result or considering the sponsorship. You know, I think it can be more cutthroat, and you'll sometimes see someone take a chance they probably shouldn't have. Uh, so that that that's bad. Like when whenever you see like the TV coverage and one team member takes the other one off the track, or they both go off the track, and then the camera goes to the the pit area, and you see that the team you know, the team boss just with his hand head in his hands or whatever. It's just kind of interesting yeah. to see, see those dynamics. But, uh, but yeah, like, like I said, racing is racing. It's like you, racers want to win, right? Yeah, it's a race. Yeah. <laughs> no point <laughs> not, being nice. <laughs> not, not a parade, right? Yeah. No, going back to the teammate thing, the, the, the kind of cliche is uh, your teammate's the first guy you want to beat because, uh, you know, at the, at the professional professional level, your teammate, has he's the only guy that has the same equipment and the same crew. Right. So when somebody else beats you, you can say, oh, they've got this engine or that suspension or whatever. But um, when your teammate beats you, that's because he was faster than you. Right. So I, I do think there's actually a little bit of an extra extra motivation to, to try and make that risky move on your teammate. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you ride with teammates? Um, yeah, loosely. So um, – I ride with uh, Arbom Racing, which is uh, kind of a loose group of uh, like-minded people. <laughs> there's there's a couple of uh, ringleaders, um, Russell Massacar and Mike Kopoulos, but um, we're not. I wouldn't say we're a team in the traditional sense. <laughs> we ride together. Um, Mike builds the motors. We we travel together. We we drink beer together, but we don't necessarily uh, run it like a business. And uh, Curtis and I, my teammate Curtis, may not be on the same bike I'm on. Like he's riding a, a third gen SV650. I'm riding a second gen SV650. So um, we're a team in a loose sense. Interesting. So kind of like a pro racing club a little bit, maybe. It's semi pro. Yeah. A cartel, yeah. then. That's pretty. Yes. Cool. that's pretty cool. Now I forget the R, and you can tell me. I guess it's one of the guys that started our bomb, right? But the BOM is Band of Misfits. Yeah, it? that's. Not, uh, so, that's... so what's the story behind that? Oh man, I, I don't even know the whole story. That's that predates me. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, you got it. It's Russell's Band of Misfits. Okay, cool. So maybe I'll have to get Russell on the podcast and we can, <laughs> <laughs> we can delve into that. You should do that. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be really cool. Yeah, I just like it. Like I said, um, you know, I really like delivery on your bike. The R-Bomb, it just, it just stands out really well. You know, and, and even if you don't know what it stands for, it's it's somehow like R bomb. Yeah, like that's it's a it's a it's a cool word acronym, you know, to have on the side of a racing motorcycle. It yeah. sounds like a thing. Yeah. Russell's band of misfits, uh merrily racing around the Sherwood Forest International Speedway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you like team names, you should check out the team names for the Suzuka eight hour endurance race. Okay. It's it's a, a subculture of motorcycling I only sort of understand. But uh, just the team names on their own are fascinating. It's, it's very, very Japanese. Very gotcha. Japanese. Gotcha. Um, Spe- speaking of which, and, and not to change the subject, and maybe I'll try to put a link in the show notes, is uh, Liza Miller from Motorcycles and Misfits had shared some time ago on Facebook a video about this whole subculture in Japan with these bikes, I don't know if you've seen them, Chris, but they're like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like, they're, they're like these rolling works of art or something. They put these like really like elaborate seats with like these really high swept backs and, you know, like bizarre handlebars. And, and it's like, oh, and that's the other thing too. And I forget what they call it, but they, they have this competition where you, you just sit, you know, you sit on the motorcycle, not in gear and you just rev the engine like to to make like a tune or something like that. I'll have to, I'll have to find the video. The, I guess the point I'm getting to is it is interesting, like you said, like I've, I've never watched the eight hours of Suzuki. I've heard about it, but there are like all these different aspects of motorcycle racing and, and whatever and, and all these kind of subcultures. It's actually pretty fascinating, like the, the amount of variety there is, you know? Yeah, it sure is. Um, I, I, love, I love the eight hours. It's sort of a tradition for me to watch the, Watch the beginning and the end. Uh, it starts usually about eleven o'clock p.m. Eastern, um, and then uh, I'll watch until I pass out, and then wake up just before the sun comes up. It's in the, it's in the summertime for us, and uh, I'm waking up. It's getting light outside, and at Suzuka, it's getting dark, and they finish just after sunset. So all the bikes. They turn the lights on. They have these glowing number plates. There's uh, there's like a brightly lit carnival in the background. And then uh, they do like lasers and fireworks. And then I start my Sunday. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a, it's a like very, very unique thing um, that thanks to the internet, you're able to just watch from your couch. <laughs> sure. oh, that's cool. That's really cool. So, so John, be forewarned if, and I, I suspect you're going to enjoy the race weekend, but if you get bitten by the racing bug, just just be aware there's lots and lots of it to watch, and and I, I can't even keep up on everything I want to. It's it's really kind of interesting. Um, and fortunately for you, you're still you're still of the age where if you want to get into racing, you can race in Moto America. I, I I'm discovering as I interview different people that I'm I'm too old <laughs> to race. Although I think Chris, I don't know you and I would. So I was joking with someone about maybe I could get like a a waiver or something like that. <laughs> you know, you're doing such a good job of promoting Moto America on your podcast. We're going to let you slide this year. <laughs> I'm, but, I I uh, believe that you are allowed to race until 55 but you yeah. do need a cardiac stress test after 50 
Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, 50, yeah. I'm 56, so I even missed the date cutoff. Yeah. Well, and and, and, and I could I could understand why. I mean, you know, it it is like you know, I've never raced, but I've ridden motorcycle long trips and whatever. I know it can be strenuous, so it doesn't. Yeah. You know, and and you know when you're when you're out on the track, you're pushing it as hard as you can, right? All the time for the duration of the race, which is what makes the endurance racing really interesting. And granted, it's a different style of racing, and I guess that's the kind of thing. It's like the tortoise and the hare, and maybe you have to learn to pace yourself. And probably the teams that win are good at that, right? Because you can't just be on the ragged edge all the time. But that, that's interesting. I, I guess that's the thing too, John. Is like the more you learn about racing, the more you learn and see the strategy that's involved, and in all kinds of ways. You know, whether it's on the track, off the track, you know, preparation beforehand. It's really, it's really fascinating. There's a lot of, a lot of levels to delve into. Oh, goodness. I see a whole other hobby starting up. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. All right. So um, we're about on, a, on an hour time mark. Any uh, other questions you had, John? Um, I guess uh, one final uh, wrap-up set of questions. Uh, it, it seems like the the people that you travel with uh, are your friends, uh, and that that you're. Uh, it's kind of just as much a sport as it is a pastime and a hobby. So I guess, uh, what are some of your funniest or most memorable stories, either from uh, in a race uh, or uh, after a race at, at all of the events? Hmm. Funniest story that I'm going to tell on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> with, a, with a PG rating. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, okay. So here's, a, here's an on-track story. Um, so it was a few years back, and we were, I, was, I was amateur racing with one of the organizations called Weira. And we were at the last race, which we call the Grand National Finals or the, the GNF. And um, it's like a big four-day thing, lots and lots of racing. And then it's kind of like the last hurrah, right, before you put the bikes away for the winter. And so uh, it was Sunday, um, last race of the day, last race of the year. And uh, I was on like a bone stock motor SV650. And this thing was tired. It was like 68 horsepower. And then um, I got into a really good battle for third with a guy named Jason Ketching from California, who's a fast guy. I'd never met him before, but he was on this FC07 with like 90 horsepower. Uh, but he didn't really know the track, and I knew the track well. So we had this great battle the whole race where like he'd come by me on the straights, and then I would just dive bomb him into the corners. And he'd come by me and try to move over and block me, and I would just go even farther to the inside and dive on him. And uh, one of the best races I've ever had. So last lap, we, we come into the back section of the track. Same deal. He turns in to the left, and I dive on him again. And basically, I have to park it in the middle of the corner to avoid running off. So to his credit, he decides he's just going to try to pass me on the outside, which is not not typically something you do. Um, and so he's passing me on the outside and I'm, I'm on the inside of the bike, hanging off, looking to the, to the edge of the corner. And I feel this thing on the outside of me and he's just leaning on me <laughs> so that, so that I know he's there. So I don't run him off the edge of the track. And so basically we come over the hill, one turn to go and he's on the left. And I'm on the right. It's a right turn. And up ahead of us, there are these two slower racers. We, we would call them lappers. 
meaning we're going to we're going to do an extra lap that they're not going to do. So um, so we have to get by these guys as fast as we can. Right. So he goes to the outside to go around the lappers and I go to the inside. But at the last moment, that first lapper comes down to the inside and takes that space. And I'm, I have nowhere to go. And I just hit him. And uh, I go down and I tumble and I spin. And, uh, and then I finally stop and I get up and I look around. And I don't see the lapper. But I see the guy I was racing with, Jason. And he's like 200 yards down further than me standing in the grass holding his head. So apparently I hit the first lapper and I crashed and he didn't. And then Jason hit the second lapper wow. and he crashed and the lapper didn't. So <laughs> we, we both ended up hitting lap riders and crashing ourselves and neither was finished. And it was, it's one of my top five favorite races, even though I didn't finish it. Wow, that's a good story. Wow. <laughs> and then, then you drive home and you go to work the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Club racing. Oh, that's wow. Wild. That's wild. <laughs> so they live up to expectations, John? <laughs> Absolutely. That's a, that's, a, that's a great story. That's really cool. I can't wait until Pittsburgh now. I'm so glad <laughs> for your safety, though. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to ride and I'm going to try to finish. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. I'll be rooting for you. So, uh, hey, thanks. Glad you're coming. Yeah, I guess we'll wrap it up. So, gentlemen, thank you, thank you very much. This was a ton of fun. Um, it was it was kind of cool just having having the dynamic we got going here. So, Chris, I hope uh, you're definitely you know feeling in shape to race and everything goes goes well for you. I'll definitely I'll, I'll definitely be watching. And John, I hope you enjoy it. I hope I, I know you're going to enjoy it. You know whether or not you decide it's a thing you want to do for the future. You know, will remains to be seen. You can let us know. But uh, yeah. So hope you guys both have an awesome, awesome weekend. Hey, thanks a lot, Chris. Yeah. Any uh, any parting words, Chris, before we uh, sign off? Uh, no. Just thanks for having me. Uh, keep keep doing what you're doing, and John, I hope you have a great time and bring uh, bring a few friends with you next time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How about you, John? Any last words? I, I think the appropriate sign out is it's always time to ride. Ah, there you go. <laughs> You must be a listener of my podcast. <laughs> All right. Awesome, gents. Have a good night. All right. Take care. A huge thanks goes out to Chris Bays and John Gardner for joining me on the show. As always, thank you to everyone who has written in. I do answer everyone's emails and messages personally as soon as I can, usually the same day. If you haven't already, please drop me an email or fill out the contact form on my website or message me in Facebook or Instagram and let me know that you're out there and anything you want to let me know about the show. I won't read anything you send me on the podcast unless you give me the permission to do so. You can email me anytime at soyouwanttoride at yahoo.com or use the link in the podcast notes to my website, soyouwanttoridemotorcycle.com, where you'll find all my contact details. I do still have stickers available. Actually, I had some more printed up recently. I've been experimenting with different designs and different types of stickers and things. So if you want to help me promote the podcast and put some on your motorcycle or your luggage or your, your car or whatever it happens to be, just uh, email me your mailing address and I will send out some stickers to you. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can make a donation using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher Geis or click the donate link at the upper right side on my website.
So anything you're willing to donate will be greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, I'm still kind of trying to figure out you know, how I want to handle this moving forward. Obviously, you know, I do have expenses to operate the podcast. You know, I have hosting fees and website fees and the things that I do to promote and whatever. And so, I don't know, I'm kind of toying with the idea of maybe taking on some advertisers. But, uh, you know, definitely let me know. I'm going to be figuring this out in the the coming weeks, and I'll probably be announcing something in the next couple episodes. But let let me know what you prefer. You know, are you okay if I take on some advertisers to help cover the costs and things? Would you prefer I not have advertisers? You know, if you'd rather I didn't have advertisers, you know, are you willing to help support the show either through PayPal or through something like Patreon? You know, just let me know. Um, you know, any anything anyone wants to do to help support the show, even just by spreading the word, you know, rating me on iTunes or your, your favorite podcast service would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, just help helps keep things rolling. You know, I want to bring you the best content, the best quality show that I can. So uh, like I said, you know, I, I am doing this out of my pocket right now, you know, which is fine. I really love doing this. And, you know, I, I really wanted to get this thing off the ground and do what I can do to give back to the community. But there are bills and whatnot, and probably the the kind of the biggest you know quote unquote cost of doing this is my time. You know, it does for anyone who's done a website, and I know, and there's other people that do. Uh, I'm sorry, anyone who's done a podcast, and I know you know other podcast podcasters listen to my podcast, and I know they know what I'm talking about. It, it is time consuming, you know, and then the 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 better the content and the better quality you want to have, you know, the, the more time it does cost. So there, there, there's a cost there too. So like I said, I'm, I'm just doing this because I love motorcycling and I just want to help others enjoy it as much as I do. But I'm at the point of kind of looking at, okay, so how am I going to defray the costs a little bit here? I'm not looking to make money at this. Although honestly, if I could, and I could bring enough value to people, you know, and enough content that I could make some money at it. Hey, why not? You know, it would just help, you know, put put that back into equipment and things for the show, and uh, you know, whatever. Maybe, maybe it's a little a little extra money on hand to be able to go to Moto America more frequently, or you know, go go visit companies or go visit people. You know, I could do more interviews and and just keep bringing bringing good content to you guys. So, anyway, I, I would love your feedback on that. So just let me know. And of course, please like and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. You can just search for So You Want to Ride, and please keep spreading the word and help me build my online and listener communities. I thank you all for listening, and just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride.